Doc? I sit here glued to the screen, punching these keys, watching everything you do on live internet feeds. I download at high speed all the files that I need to make your hard drive crash and to make your face bleed. You can't erase me. I'm gonna make you taste me. I'm a virus. I kill you the next time you face me. You jealous. You stole my shot at the brass ring. Everybody knows I'm the next big thing. You all bark and no bite. You stole my spotlight. I'm the great white hope. You're the great white hype. If you an animal, then I'm going on safari. I'm rocking PlayStation 2. You can't figure out Atari. Look in these eyes, Brock. Don't think that I won't shoot you. I leave you worthless, like a nerd with no computer. Show the world that you can't even walk in my shoe. Your finish is the F5, well mine's the F-U. Let me tell you something. 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 Well, let me tell you something. Well, let me tell you something. 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 Let me tell you something, man. Greetings, Grapple fans! It's time once again for another dose of pondering about the practicalities of professionalised wrestling. We will talk about it for as long as we need to talk about it until you are utterly willing to submit to our line of thinking. Yes, it's Let Me Tell You Something. I'm your co-host, Lorcan Mullen, and with me as always is the badass Billy Gunn to my road dog, Jesse James, the Billy Gunn to my Bart Gunn, the Billy to my Chuck, Mr. Simon Cross. Simon, how you doing, mate? Oh, I'm doing incredible, and let me just say, that that was one of your best ones, yeah. I, I'm, <laughs> I am chuffed to bits with that one. When I thought of that one, I thought, should I save this for an Attitude Era pop <laughs> episode or something? But I was just like, I like this one too much. I'm going to use it as soon as I've, now that I've thought of it. Um, so... Simon, this is our first post-WrestleMania 31 record. It's not the first episode we're releasing after WrestleMania. You'll have recently heard our episode with Matthew, hopefully. If you haven't, what are you doing listening to us? You can listen <laughs> to us and Matthew Gregg, someone who knows what he's talking about. So go back and listen to that, and then come back and listen to this. Um, we are going to be talking... Usually we like to try and stay uh, away from the topical, the recent. We're going to mostly, hopefully, do that, but... What we're talking about is something that's very uh, important within the, the fr- framework of this WrestleMania 31. Uh, WrestleMania 21, 10 years ago, Los Angeles, California. WrestleMania, WrestleMania goes Hollywood. Jinx, buy me a Coke. <laughs> a young professional wrestler of no more than 27 years old called John Cena defeated the veteran John Bradshaw Layfield to claim his first ever WWE Championship. Ten years and fifteen world title reigns later, that same John Cena has just defeated one Rusev. He was the wizened veteran, and Rusev was the hungry young competitor from a foreign land. The undefeated. The undefeated foreign menace. Foreign menace is another episode that we've talked about in the past. 
So go back and listen to that as well. We're giving you homework as we go along. <laughs> and with that, bookmarks, bookends, we're going to discuss that decade in between. The decade of Cena, where John Cena was declared pretty much straight out as the face of the company. The franchise. The franchise. To the now possibly, maybe he is, maybe he isn't, the legacy wrestler who can be in the mid-card, the upper mid-card, and is not as close to the world title happenings as we talk. It seems that they want to build it around the likes of Roman Reigns and Seth Rollins now. I wouldn't now, say legacy, straight off the bat. I'd say special attraction. Special attraction, okay. Yes, he's a special attraction due to the legacy that he has created, which you concede with me there, Simon. No, 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 that's a fair, that's a fair comeback there. Okay, so, Simon... Do you think that, first of all, do you agree with this thesis? Do you think that John Cena is now lo- no longer the sole figurehead of the company? Yes. Is, is John Cena no longer the head of the company like Hulk Hogan was between 84 and 91, like Steve Austin was between 98 and 2001, like Cena has been since 2005? Do you think he's no longer that focal point of the WWE? Yes, I think he was in transition a couple of years ago, but the true marking and passing of the torch, I'd say that the defining, he's no longer the guy moment. Um, it was sort of bookmarked quite spectacularly at last year's SummerSlam, mm-hmm. where <clears throat> this legit champion, Brock Lesnar, like this ass kicker, one who Cena had beaten previously in an Extreme Rules match, which obviously won't not... It's not often with a wrestler where you have to hold one victory over him in high regard. But because Brock Lesnar himself is such a special attraction, that's amplified. And it was just the way he was manhandled around the ring. And the one line which I think cemented that Cena was like having his torch passed was at the end when Brock Lesnar's uh, holding the championship aloft. And you just hear Michael Cole on commentary just go, it wasn't even close. And I think that is a perfect summation of the fact that, he, okay, he's not the guy anymore, but he's going to be in the upper mid-card. You can't get rid of him, mm. nor would you want to. The merchandise sales are phenomenal. But um, I think that moment really cemented it, that he's not the young buck gunning for the gold. He's the old guy hanging around and dealing with wrongs to be righted. Mm. Now, would you concede, though, that the following month he had... Brock Lesnar in their rematch, trapped in the STF, and I think it was Seth Rollins coming in trying to cash in his money in the bank the first time that stopped him from maybe getting the victory. And then at the Royal Rumble in the triple threat match with Seth Rollins, he was he was battered about a bit by Brock Lesnar, but he was still, you know, he hit him with three consecutive... Although I suppose the fact that he had to hit him with three consecutive attitude adjustments and Brock Lesnar just kept popping up, maybe that also suggested that they don't need the, they don't need to protect him as much as they once did. Um, I, I know I get your point, but of course he was due his rematch clause, and John Cena's one of those characters where you can't brush, over, brush it over, unlike Randy Orton after WrestleMania 30, who still hasn't had one, by the way. This is over a year, mm. and he's still bringing it up, and fans are going, that's a good point. Yeah. Um, but uh, did you ever really feel he was going to win that match? I didn't. <laughs> uh, I thought it was possible, because they didn't necessarily want Brock Lesnar to be the uh, long-term um, champion, uh, they didn't want to have the WWE champion off screen for that long or not. I thought, 
I thought they booked themselves into a corner, which they very often do. Oh, and definitely. That, and that's probably why they had to have John Cena look strong, but still have Brock Lesnar look like a killer. Um, the problem, the the the, uh, the question becomes one of was okay. This is where I think I, I haven't seen the Raw after WrestleMania. I haven't actually seen a, a full episode. Of, like I I skip in and out of Raws, and I'll watch highlight clips or what have you. So I don't even watch them from start to finish. So I never really watch the opening. Yeah. But the opening of Raw is very often a signifier of who is the most important figure in the show. Um, back in the Attitude Era, it was Austin walking down a flaming uh, a, a street and there's flames you know, flying all over the place. And, uh, and in the recent ones, the final image, as it goes, is John Cena's face. Is that still the case? Is the opening of Raw, does it still end with the image of John Cena? I can't remember definitively, but I don't think it does. Because if it's no longer got his face, especially if it's got Roman Reigns' face, or maybe Seth Rollins' face, or Brock Lesnar's face, then I will concede that it's no longer John Cena as as the figurehead. But here's another thing. I don't think we've seen the last of John Cena's run at the top. I don't think we've seen the last of John Cena holding the world title. I don't think we've seen the last John Cena main eventing of WrestleMania events. Because in the last two years, like you say, they've been gradually making it clear that John Cena's one of the ensemble more, that he can work in the mid-card. They had him wrestle Bray Wyatt at the last year's WrestleMania, and then they've had him wrestle Rusev for a mid-card title. Yes, they can raise the prestige, but it's still fundamentally a title will be more often than not held by a mid-carder, someone being brought up the card, or someone on their way down having failed at the top of the card. Well, you mentioned this. This is like his fourth US title reign. His first one he got at WrestleMania 20 when he knocked off the Big Show. In kind of his, in where Big Show was the guy sort of on the decline and Cena was the young upstart on the way up. Um, is Rusev and Cena a mirror image even though C- Cena took the belt off him? Perhaps. Um, I don't, I don't know because the fundamental question is, he is a 15 time world champion. One more title reign and he ties with the greatest record ever in terms of title reigns, Ric Flair. So I'm going to ask you a two-part question in response. Mm-hmm. Should he tie the record and even go on to beat it? And B, does it mean as much as Flair's? Um, I think... Look, world title reigns don't really mean that much. You know, uh, Bubba Ray always got his maths wrong, but the fact that you won it 16 times means that you lost it 16 times. The fact that you won it 15 times means that you lost it 15 times. What's a more meaningful? What's who's had more a more meaningful time with the WWE Championship? Edge with his four or five runs with the belts that maybe cumulatively lasted three months, or CM Punk's one four hundred and thirty four day reign with the title. The numbers don't necessarily mean that much. Ric Flair's works because Ric Flair was holding title the title for like two years, then losing it for a couple of months, and then winning it back and holding it for another year. Um. I don't think they'll bring it up as frequently as they do when Ric Flair comes out. Ric Flair's always come out to 16-time world champion for about 10 years now, ever since he came back to the WWE after the death of WCW. He's been 16-time Ric Flair. Whenever John Cena makes his returns, I don't know that it'll be 16-time, 17-time, 18-time 
world champion John Cena. I don't know. I disagree. I think they like their stats, their buzzwords, their numbers like that. It's I just th- I don't think that that will be... Like when Ric Flair comes out very often on the Tron or whatever, it will have in words 16 times world champion. Mm. I don't think that's what it will say for John Cena. I don't know. I've, I'm not so sure. Mm. I mean, we can agree to disagree on that one, and the only time we'll tell. Well, let's talk about something that's very definitive about John Cena as well. Another sign that they were moving away from John Cena being the be-all and end-all of the promotion is that championship belt. After he won it at WrestleMania 21, a couple of weeks later, he debuted the new gaudy, bling-bling, hip-hop version of the WWE championship belt with the spinning WWE logo. Mm. And that was the belt design for the next eight years. It lasted about as long as the winged eagle belt, the classic one that went from 88 to 98, so it was just a little bit shorter a run than that. Uh, So it's the second longest design of that title belt that lasted, and that was, that that would be like the the entire run of the Attitude Era, Triple H, Mick Foley, The Rock, and them lot holding the the smoking skull belts. Yeah, that never really... WWE Championship, and that never happened. They built one one one-month storyline about that with The Rock, but the fact that it was Edge, CM Punk, Rob Van Dam, Jeff Hardy, even Triple H had to hold the John Cena WWE Championship was something that always frustrated me. Mm. And because it legitimized the design, it was such an ugly, ugly design for a belt. It is the worst one we've ever had. Uh, I, I'm not a great handler of change, but when The Rock finally debuted the new championship belt, I was like, oof. But I thought that was a bit oversimplified. But it's yeah. gold on me. I'm not a huge fan of that. I think there's too much leather on the front belt. I feel like the belt should be gold, not yeah. just a gold logo. But it's fine for what it is. It's definitely a step up from John Cena's. Yeah. It's almost as if you took the old W with the logo in the, the big logo in the middle and just got rid of all the bling jewels and rubies mm. and platinum and whatever else it was. And that's an interesting thing with the John Cena character because he was still that. Eminem, Marky Mark, uh, <laughs> Doctor of Thugonomics, hip-hop guy, just at the start of his run. But pretty much by the time he's fighting Triple H at WrestleMania 22 and Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania 23, he's become the Marine, basically, with the dog tags, the the buzz-cut hairdo, the salutes and everything. It, it, it's a version of the Patriot and the, and the you know, American Sniper. Yeah. Look, square-jawed, all-American hero. The the sort of image that Paul Verhoeven made such brilliant fun of in Starship Troopers. It's like Starship Troopers, but without a layer of irony behind the character of John Cena. I know, but um, obviously he is linked heavily to the troops. One, because Vince is a proud patriot himself. And two, oh, he because... likes to tell us that. <laughs> and two, because... Um, Let's face it, like, they're on the Forces Network, that troops are a significant portion of their audience mm. in some aspects. And, let's face it, America loves its troops, so it just makes sense. Boy, do they love their troops. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's talk about this decade. What are some of the defining features of this decade outside of Cena? What defines the WWE in the Cena decade, 2005 to 2015, what 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 has happened? I, I guess you could say that the, the switch to PG. Oh, that's that that is happen. the main one. I know that's the one that our fans are going 
come on, it's the PG era. But it's it's more than that. They sort of seem to corporify themselves a little bit. I don't know if you agree with that in terms of the kind of sponsors they're attracting. It's more than just like appealing to kids so kids feel more comfortable watching the product. Because, you know, it's the same thing. Under-18s play GTA. Yes. Under-18s watch the first Terminator. Yes. It's, you're right. It, the reason that is that even at the height of their popularity when they were doing the adult-oriented videos, at the same time making toys and dolls and plenty of kids in the crowd, you know, they were making kid-sized DX shirts saying suck it on the back. They were marketing to kids. It's just now they're making it clear they're marketing to kids in the PG way, and that means that they can get the more high-profile sponsors. Such as your Walmart, your Kmart. Yeah. yeah. And those sponsors offset the losses they make from fewer viewing figures because they're bringing in more advertising dollars. It's the mm. huge. It is still one of the most watched shows on cable television, and yet the commercials back in the day, from what I understand, in the states were terrible, and they were for really tacky products and, mm. and not particularly high end stuff. So they weren't bringing in the advertising dollar as much as you know. That's why that's why things like Mad Men are able to thrive with relatively low ratings because they get they're seen as high end quality entertainment and therefore the people that watch the shows are people that have higher incomes and therefore they're selling higher value property and therefore they can charge more for the advertising mm. rates. I think that's... WWE attracts a little audience, I suppose, whereas well... they want to attract uh, at the very least the Tesco's, if not a Waitrose. <laughs> Oof, I wouldn't go that far, but let's let's put it into stats terms. The Raw after this WrestleMania just gone, WrestleMania 31, is the first time in quite some time they have hit 5 million viewers. Mm. So they usually get 4, 4.2. So they need to like make sure they're getting the most out of those 4.2 million viewers. Well, so you... if that means marketing towards PG people, who, let's face it, children have a lot more disposable income in terms of they're not spending their own money. They They, they just want things and their parents buy them for it eventually. The best movie that came out last year was a you, the Lego movie. It was the best movie that came out last year. In my humble, humble in inverted commas there, opinion. It's not that you can't tell great stories. Mm. It's not that you can't have a compelling TV show that's PG or G or, or 12, what have you. They don't need swearing and violence. In many ways, though, swearing, violence and that can be used to paper over the cracks. Occasionally, sometimes it accentuates the story. It can be a distraction. It can be a distraction. One of my favourite movies of the last year, I love the Lego movie, don't get me wrong, I haven't done a definitive top ten, and you know, it's weird because men love lists. Mm-hmm. But it's a toss-up between the Lego movie and Gone Girl, which I really enjoyed, and those are very different audiences. Well, I think Gone Girl was an 18, so, um, so yeah, you've got the two ends of the spectrum. You're right. But you, that, the basic point I'm telling is that you can tell great stories, and you can make a great product that's marketed towards adults, but you can make them for kids, and they can appeal to a broad demographic. Um, but here's the question, then, that I'm asking you, because you're saying that this was the first... If we're talking about the first Raw in the post-Cena era, and that was their highest ratings and ever, do you think that that means that John Cena wasn't a great draw? No, no. Um, not He's not a great critically appreciated draw. He was a great draw in terms of merchandise and in terms of the children, which, when they turned PG, is what they wanted. They've achieved their goals. It's just that many smarks, and some, well, I've, I've been that person sometimes, but I've, I've gone more 
I've become a less cynical smart, or a more cynical smart, depending on your outlook on it. But <clears throat> the WWE of John Cena achieved its objectives of getting kids money and it marketing the PG product to bigger sponsors. However, when people coming out of the Attitude Era and the New Generation Era, which didn't really stick around for that long, no one really talks about that, they had a different product. They had something different completely to look at. And when people draw comparisons, as they naturally do, it, cover, it creates an issue in terms of what some people want won't be what some people get. But you can't please everyone all the time, to be fair. But here's the interesting thing that we had, that they couldn't please all the people all the time, and yet a lot of those people stayed. And that's where you got the divided crowds. The, the let's go Cena... Cena sucks. Which I've heard that kids do both. That kids, that they see kids in the crowd going, let's go Cena, Cena sucks. And that's fascinating. I think it's because it's the, one of the most engaging chants that's been over the last decade, to be fair. But why didn't the Cena sucks fans simply just stand up and leave? Where why did have they, they go? Why have they stuck around? Why didn't they do what I did and go and watch Ring of Honor and go and watch New Japan? Why do they stick around with the WWE products? Well, and by me, they, I mean we to an extent. Hmm, Why do many. we keep watching the WWE? Why do we need to think that the guy who's WWE champion and is the figurehead of the WWE should be important and our opinion should be heard? Why do we think that? Well, for many, well in terms of why didn't we leave... In all honesty, in terms of production values, where would we go? Because like, production values matter. People, people like quality of things as well. And let's face it, the WWE has the highest production values of any wrestling product. And that does matter to some people. Some people buy video games because the graphics are good without thinking about the storyline. Some people are like that. And it, it is the glossiest product. Nothing wrong with that. If that's what you're into, if that's what you enjoy, if that's why you buy a product, that's your prerogative. Some people did leave. Some people found Ring of Honor. Um, but they also, they've been born and raised in WWE. WWE is what you first find. It's, it's a building block in wrestling. It's a, it's a foundation. Not many people take the gamble of losing their foundations and going elsewhere. Okay, how do you rate this decade artistically? How do you rate 2005 to 2015? Was it, will we look back at any of it as a golden era? Will we look back on it compared to we look back at the Attitude Era, compared to what we look back at the Hogan Era. What do, what, what, what will be the overriding thoughts of the Cena Era? Will it okay. be wasted opportunities? Will it be the mixture of good and bad? Will it be, in hindsight, this holds up really well? Because a lot of the Attitude Era does not hold up. No. Um, I think the start of the Cena Era, when he was fighting JBL to get the belt back, when Guerrero was still around and Edge was going from money in the bank to becoming world champion and he broke the bracket that was a really good time to be a WWE wrestling fan the middle bit uh, around the let's say about 20, 2007 to 2011 I wasn't really engaged with the project myself it was a real low point and that's also interestingly around the time that John Cena had his few long term layoffs through injury where Triple H won the world title where Randy Orton started to become a star uh, on his own uh, as his own breakout star with the Viper character, where the likes of Sheamus and CM Punk started to turn up. Mm. Well, CM P- long-haired CM Punk was yeah. very much them trying to try and make CM Punk their kind of project. 
Whereas um, the moment he like did the straight edge society thing, then got his 434 day title reign, they had a star on their hands. They had a breakout figure. Mm. Um, but the proof is they never really felt comfortable going with it, which is why even though he had the health belt for over a year, never felt the need to change it. That's never really been explained away. In that whole year point. that he was the world champion, um, he wasn't main eventing the card unless he was wrestling John Cena. I think in the entirety of that run, he main evented TLC because John Cena was out injured. Uh, um, yes, the Miz Del Rio, yes. Yeah, he didn't, he didn't main event the... Um, I think he might have main evented the Elimination Chamber. I can't remember off the top of my head. He didn't main event WrestleMania. He didn't main event Extreme Rules. He didn't main event Over the, over the Limits. He didn't main event um, that one he did with Kane. Uh, he didn't main event... He main evented when he was up against Cena. So even though that was the year of Punk, in mm. theory, as champ, it was main evented by John Cena fighting John Laurinaitis, or John Cena <laughs> fighting Brock Lesnar. Or John or, Cena getting Big Show in a cage. Or John Cena wrestling the Big Show. So this is an interesting thing that I think... We, no one got built up to be perceived as the complete equal to John Cena. Would you agree or disagree with that? I would agree with that. I think the closest they've got was Orton and then Punk during the later days of his reign. I don't think anyone before then was perceived to be his equal as such. I think people were perceived to get an edge on edge on him, if you pardon the pun, but they always seem to uh, be outsmarted in the end, like Edge. Edge was there for a while, but they just gave up on him. Well, that's the interesting thing with John Cena. He went through eras of rivalries. He went through great rivalries. Rivalries that lasted over a number of years. If Hogan had Savage and Andre, and Austin had Rock and Triple H and McFoley, Cena had Edge, he had Orton, he had Punk. And JBL. And JBL, Shawn Michaels, Triple H. But I think if you were to do a, a, like, Top t- I'm sure, well, I know the WWE have done a top 10 John Cena rivals, and I'm sure that they've jumbled it up to well, they've got their the, own Well, they've narrative. got the John Cena Greatest Rivalries uh, DVD out, and on the front cover, I think it is Edge, Orton, and Punk. Well, there you go. And those were the three that were built up during his run with the belts. But John Cena was always perceived as higher, but Hogan was always perceived as higher than Savage. Austin was pretty much always perceived as higher than The Rock. Yes. The Rock only got one clean as a whistle victory over Steve Austin, and that was Austin's last ever match at WrestleMania 19. Last ever match for now, by the way. So, Let, why, let's do, so, the why, do, so why do we get? Why do the smart online fans get so resentful that John Cena is whenever John Cena wins? It's not it, just that John Cena. It's not just that John, John Cena wins. Lol. Well, why should if John Cena is the main guy? Why shouldn't he win? I think it he lost a hell of a lot more than most of the than Hogan or Austin ever did. I think it links back to our previous episode about internet's impact on wrestling. During Hogan's era, you never really saw like a fast-paced, different style. It was always big guy wins. Yay! Look at World of Sport. Look at the amount they poured into giants uh, such as Sting and Ultimate Warriors tag team, the Road Warriors. All throughout the card, it's big guys beating the crap out of people. That's all it is. <clears throat> Therefore, your small guys, such as your Ric Flair, who many wrestlers, is many wrestlers' greatest re- wrestler ever. It wasn't the Ric Flair era at any point. There's no Ric Flair era. In the w- in WCW and NWA there was, but not in the WWE. Yeah. Not not in the man, not 
not in the main period of wrestling his of wrestling history that's been covered, not in the main narrative, which is the WWE's. There's never been a Ric Flair. Yeah, era. WWE's narrative. The closest you had to a Ric Flair era was when he was feuding with Hulk, Randy Savage in part of '92, part of '91. But his his entire run in the WWE was just over two years. But my point is the accessibility of other types of wrestling has only become really prevalent as John Cena has risen. So he's the first one that's been held up against Samoa Joe, held up against Kenta Kobashi, held up against uh, Shinzi Nakamura, held up against Homicide even, held up against Bully Ray in TNA, held up against... Brian Danielson. Brian Danielson, held up against... So that's interesting. You think John Cena came at the time when the when increasingly the opinion of the the entitled fan, the more knowledgeable fan in the crowd that was increasing in prominence and in number, mm. the importance of the champion to either be one of or the best wrestler in the promotion and always put on four-star, five-star matches. Yes, I think... Rest- and that's what, so you're, you're saying if John Cena had come around in 1984, he mm. wouldn't be... He, the, our generation of fans would look at, back at him with as much fondness as we do for Hulk Hogan. Not as such, because he's not as charismatic as Hogan. So do you think... That's, that's an interesting thing. Because what I like to argue about certain wrestlers, like the great wrestlers, are the ones that you could have plop, you could have plopped them at any time in the 20th century and the 21st century, and they would have become a star. Would, like, would the 1982 Hulk Hogan, if he'd have made his debut in 2000 like John Cena did, would, Hulk, would Vince McMahon have strapped the rocket to him and pushed him to the moon and made him the figurehead like he did in the 1980s. Conversely, if John Cena had turned up in 1982, Mm. would he possibly have been the one that Vincent Mann chose ahead of Hulk Hogan to spearhead the rock and wrestling era? I think John Cena would have ended up in an ultimate warrior kind of role, if you see what I mean. Not the go-to guy, but damn near as close to it. Well, that's that's also an interesting point, because the the roles and responsibilities on screen of John Cena are so much greater than they were for Hulk Hogan. Hulk Hogan must have appeared on screen on WWF programming, doing something new, doing an interview, doing a promo, doing an angle, doing a match, no more than maybe 25 times a year. Saturday night main events, the mm. pay-per-views, and then promos being led to by sh- being introduced by Sean Mooney. Hulk Hogan wasn't appearing on Wrestling Challenge. He wasn't appearing on All American Wrestling. He wasn't appearing on Superstars. He was spoken of. He was alluded to. He was mentioned. He was shown in passing, but he wasn't on them every week. John Cena would have to probably open and close every Raw for the better part of ten years. John Cena's on screen about I don't know. A hundred times every every year. So is your point then that if we took the 84 Hogan character and gave him the Cena work schedule, that fans would be getting just as burnt out as him? If we gave him the Cena level of exposure on television, if Hulk Hogan was on screen every single week for about half an hour and was expected to put on a main event match against a heel on television in an arena every month, because Hogan could go through, Hogan, Hulk Hogan could feud with Paul Orndorff for the better part of six months. Cena couldn't feud with anyone for six months on their own. The longest Cena feuds would last maybe three to four months at the most. Hulk Hogan was wrestling Randy Savage right up to the end of 1989. Hulk Hogan wrestled Randy Savage in a Saturday night's main event in February of 1990. 
that feud went on for the best part of a year. Cena couldn't do it continuously. He couldn't continuously feud with Edge for a whole year. They they dip in and out of each other's storylines. And when it looked like they were going to wrestle each other at WrestleMania 25, they had to drop the big show in because it was seen as a match that had been milked too much. They didn't suddenly drop someone else in when Hulk Hogan had wrestled Randy Savage on that Saturday night's main event. I'd say that's because they didn't refresh their upper mid-card back then. Because they didn't have to. Well, yeah, because it wasn't on as much. But let's go to the fundamental difference between Hogan and Cena. And it's the one that all fans have asked, and I think... It's the one where I'm I'm thinking our audience will be wondering why we haven't mentioned this by now. His lack of heel turn. Hogan did it. Hogan he went, didn't do it in the WWE. He didn't do it in the WWE, but he did it on a big stage. Because let's face it, WCW was a big stage. So it still counts. Hmm. And let's face it, he, he came out at WrestleMania 31 in his NWO garb. And he's known equally in both garbs. So he almost has two characters to go off of. Same way Shawn Michaels does, in a way. Shawn Michaels can be that really heelish, kind of a real dick guy. Mm. Um, but he can also be that, you know, do good a hero. Uh, the one that, like, super kicks Paul Heyman as he gets involved with the Brock Lesnar Triple H match at Mania. He's, like, the one that really, like, comes to the aid of his friend kind of thing. Well, partly we discussed this in our Heel Turns episode, which is one of our better episodes. You should also check that one out. There's a lot of uh, cross-referencing in this episode. It's like an episode of Community. <laughs> um, but what I would argue with that is, um, I think we'll know that Vince McMahon is not building, is never going to build the promotion around John Cena as their spokesperson again if he allows him to turn heel, because they want they will sacrifice him to Roman Reigns. Roman Reigns is the first guy that I've ever seen that I've thought they could theoretically turn John Cena heel and give us heel Cena against Roman Reigns at WrestleMania to give Roman Reigns cement his spot as John Cena. But John Cena turns on him through jealousy. And I tell you what, if anything might fill 100,000 fans into an arena, it might be a heel Cena. Oh, that, that, that's a good shout there. However, I think what you'd do is if he did turn heel, you'd get, all, you'd get him as the face, the smart face against the smart heel, Roman. Well, here's, here's the question. Here's the question that I've asked. I'm asking here. Everyone says, oh, they didn't build up anyone. It was always John Cena wins, lol, and then the other person would get sent back down to the card, and they didn't push anyone as hard as they pushed John Cena. Why did they need to? Because John Cena, for his entire 10-year run, was the number one babyface and the number one heel. No one got a bigger cheer and no one got a bigger set of bigger boos than John Cena did. That's one of the things that John Cena made a point of in uh, his interview with uh, Steve Austin. They're not yelling. They're not When they're going, let's go Cena, Cena sucks. They're not saying, let's go Cena, let's go R-Truth. They're not saying, let's go Cena, let's go Barrett. They're saying Cena sucks. It's like, why, why would he need anyone else? It's just another body there. It's the guy that works with the guy who draws, as uh, Jim Cornette would say. The, There's no, there was no need for John Cena to have mm. an equal, because John Cena was his own equal. Yeah, the, it's the closest equivalent I can think of to this is there was one year in the Kerrang Awards. I can't remember the year. It was late noughties, where My Chemical Romance won the best band category and the worst band category. Uh, it's... Now, that's an equivalent of someone who has like such a mainstream audience being so marmite. But but people aren't going to My Chemical Romance concerts to boo them. 
People are going to WWE events specifically to boo John Cena. There's an interesting story in the 30 for 30 documentary series about this uh, big college football star called Brian Bosworth, who was a big personality, had buzz cut hair. He He looked like a pro wrestler, and it was back in the late 80s. And he would say disparaging things about a particular college town when they're about to play them in the in the uh, American football. And then they go there, and they went to an arena, and there were like 7,000 of that team's fans wearing no to the Boz, or we hate Boz, or whatever. Bosworth owned the company that printed those shirts. He made money off of those suckers. And that's what John Cena was doing. I mean, I know they tried to eventually release that Cena Sucks t-shirt, and I don't think it was much of a seller, because even we saw past it. Yeah. The fact of the matter is, you're there, and you're watching Cena, and you're watching him because you want him to lose, or you're watching him because you want him to win. You're not watching it because you want the other guy to win. It's like, it's like um, to go really crazy into the political sphere. In 2004, people were, you know, I was amongst them, were horrified that George Bush won. But the reason that George Bush won is because people on John Kerry's side were not saying vote for Kerry because. They were saying don't vote for Bush because. And it happened again two years ago with Obama. It wasn't people saying vote for Mitt Romney because. It was don't vote for Obama because. And you can't be defined by that. And that's why CM Punk may be the closest thing that we had to a great rival at that time because it wasn't let's go Cena Cena sucks it was let's go Cena CM Punk yeah Edge and Autumn were also the closest to, to matching him Edge because he just built himself up and through force sheer force and will of his own personality and his own work at that time and it was also the early days of Cena so maybe it felt like Cena wouldn't necessarily definitively become the face of the company that. just like it still feels like Roman Reigns might not definitively become the face of the company yeah and we'll get to that in a second. Uh, Randy Orton, it was just the WWE always had a boner and a hard-on for Randy Orton. And they've always wanted us to think of Randy Orton and John Cena as the great rivalry of their era, even though it's not. As reflected by that time when they tried to do the Mega Powers Collide or Hogan the Warrior at the Royal Rumble. And it was Cena and Orton standing, standing toe-to-toe. And no one gave a flying fuck. <laughs> the thing is with Randy Orton, though. Randy Orton is a very good wrestler. And he does work so incredibly hard his charisma isn't at the level of Cena's no but is he as important to this era yes oh I wouldn't say I don't, I don't think anyone's as important to this era as Cena is you look at um, the amount of people that have to build up through feuds with Orton to get to Cena though like maybe yes. face and then turn like without that but cog that, in the wheel it's going to be a lot weaker but you said it yourself it's through Orton to get to Cena yeah. so they have to keep climbing up beyond Orton and hmm. to get Cena. Randy Savage is a key point in the in the 80s. There's no doubt about it. DX were a key point in the Attitude Era. But they weren't as big a deal as Hogan. They weren't as big a deal as Austin. But they were... Like, they're, and they're still a cog within the machine. There's still a cog within the machine, but the, the big daddy at the top of it, the cuckoo that's coming round the clock, <laughs> that's selling the clock to you, that's John Cena. I just got an image of him as a cuckoo, and that's just... <laughs> Okay, let's, let's, okay, now let's get to, down to brass tacks here. Um, is John Cena good at what he does? Yes. He's good at being... I think he wrestles... You notice his wrestling style, it gets good on certain occasions against this kind of opponent where he thinks he can get away with it. Because he's, he's deliberately, in some cases... Because I've seen him do a monkey flip. I've seen him break out a pile driver. 
I've seen him take a pile driver, actually. I've not seen him give one, sorry. I've seen him do a hurricanrana. I've seen him do a lot of moves. He broke a new one out against Rusev at Mania. I can't remember it, but he did break Is a couple. that the stunner off the second rope or something? That kind of thing, yeah. He, do, he does know a fair few good wrestling moves. He's been hamstring, and I think the reason he wrestles such a reductive style is A, so some kids can follow it, and B, so the heat, so the people that chant Cena sucks will hate it. Cena is one of the biggest cases of a heel trapped in a faces lifestyle I've ever seen. And if you want proof of that, look at the angle in the lead up to WrestleMania 31 where he gets that title match from Rusev after Rusev has shot him down a couple of times. Look at the smirk on his face as he acts so heelish. Look at how good he feels. It's like when he threw Edge into the sea. Or was it a river? Can't remember. But he wants to do that. And when he gets the right kind of truly nasty piece of shit heel where he can do those kind of things and still get cheered by the kids, look at the look at his face. He loves it. He wants to be a heel. You can tell. Now that gives me uh, two points. I'll try and remember them both when I'm saying them. Uh, first one for you. Do you think he knows how to do the STF better and he just doesn't do it? Well, Austin's pulled him up on it. And it's not, he is aware of how bad it is. So, so why doesn't he prove it? This is it. Maybe it's a, maybe, Cena's a lot smarter than you think. I mean, like he's, this is a man that obviously through watching Total Divas I know likes to spend his free time playing chess with his mates. Not many people like to do that. <laughs> and in spare time he also tries to learn Mandarin in order to help the WWE expand into East Asian marketplace. Yeah. And, he ha- and he did have collegiate level like education. He's not stupid. He's a smart bloke. Yeah. And here's another question for you now. If you were booking a promotion and you had the entire roster of WWE wrestlers and you didn't know anything about them and all that you wanted them to do was come out in black trunks, black boots, black knee pads, cut one promo and wrestle one match, who do you think you push as your main event talent? I've wondered why I was booking New Japan's undercard. Uh, but <laughs> Or an Austin tribute act. Honestly? No, no, knowing uh, how I if like it's arrest- your money as well yeah. this is one of the things that always gets me about online fans yeah sure you can do that or like, or like movie fans who are like oh why doesn't the guy who, who created Primer why doesn't that guy get a 50 million dollar budget yeah well he's not going to get 50 million dollars worth of box office hmm. um, okay uh, I'll, I'll give you my leading heel and leading face then from this scenario leading heel Seth Rollins all day long I reckon he could do it leading face it's tougher I'm inclined to still give the edge to Cena at the moment. Mm. But that's you that's you being honest and you're a smarkiest you're a smarkiest mark, you know? Mm. You you like you like your four star, five star wrestling matches. You like your Shinsuke Nakamura's. You pronounced it Shinsuke Nakamura, you know? But here's here's another point that you're saying about him working as a heel in those little promos. This is my theory that I'm gonna posit and it's gonna, we're going to do an episode about the guy. We have to. We, have, we could do a whole series. We could do a whole podcast about this guy. Vince McMahon, <laughs> he doesn't know what makes a good person. If you look at the great baby faces, the two great baby faces that ever came out in the WWE in their era, Hulk Hogan was a big-headed, steroid-filled, bloviating uber-patriotic arsehole that just happened to come around at the same time that Ronald Reagan was the President of the United States, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sylvester Stallone were the biggest movie stars in the world, and it was that rah-rah America, everyone was on cocaine, 80s, overindulgence, you know, the cocaine decade. Hogan came out of the cocaine decade. Austin was 
a not very nice person. He wasn't a nice person. He attacked people, good or bad. He swore, he he wrecked things, he was belligerent, he didn't acknowledge the fans, he was like an abusive partner. (laughs) (laughs) And we loved him. And he literally was at one point. Um... (laughs) You can't do that. He pled no contest. I should stress. Okay, okay. Maybe he didn't. But that's, that's the question. That is the question. Vince Man doesn't know how to book a good babyface. And that's why John Cena suffered. Because he wasn't booked as a good babyface. The point that people constantly make is that he will get into things with his best friend. He'll have friends on screen and then they'll get messed up. And he won't come out to help them. Throughout the entirety of that Survivor Series authority storyline, he would not come out and help Dolph Ziggler. He wouldn't come out and help Ryback. He wouldn't come out and help Eric Rowan. He didn't do it. He did it for his own selfish needs. It's why, it's why when Hogan turned in 96, it made perfect sense. They didn't need to change nearly anything about his personality, other than just give him a black beard and have him get on his knees begging for mercy instead of getting off his knees and no-selling the finishing hold. Well, he sold Jay, Lo- Jay Leno's pretty well. But, um, yeah. <clears throat> no, my, no, but I mean, back when he was Hulk Hogan, he would, instead yeah. of him be hulking up on his knees, it was him backing off on his knees. True. That was the only thing they needed to change about Hulk Hogan's character. But um, I think... You don't have to change John Cena's character that much to make him a heel. Maybe you don't need to change it at all to make him a heel. So you're saying you'd have him as coward heel or psycho heel? The two main classes of heel. I'd have him as... um, I'd have him as just a prick. (laughs) I'd have him as... Uh, Arrogant heel, the sub. Yeah, yeah, kind of. Arrogant heel. Uh, Which sometimes he comes across on on Total Divas, from what I understand. He can come across as a bit aloofish and standoff. uh, I don't watch the show. I I hate American reality shows. I I hate reality shows in general, but American ones in Mm. particular drive me crazy. Now, now this is going to might might drive a little bit of a wedge between us. I have watched the entirety of the first season of Total Divas. Get out. (laughs) (laughs) But but you've got a point here on on that. Some of his like decisions and the whole him Nicky arc is designed where he's in a it's in a semi-autistic way, learning how to live and cope with another human being. <laughs> he doesn't seem to be able to understand how to do it. Well, that's because he's been the perfect corporate... Not stooge, that's the wrong problem. He has been what Vincent Mann... John Cena is what Vincent Mann's always wanted. A handsome, muscular, tall but not too tall guy that can go, that will go out and learn Mandarin in order to help them expand their East Asian market. He's basically successful at Luca. Yeah, he's, he is. He is the ex-Luger. He's what Vince Mann always wanted, wanted from his guy. He doesn't, from what we understand, he doesn't cause a great amount of politics. He doesn't cause PR catastrophes. You, you, you can't push CM Punk as your figurehead if he's going to hit a fan. You can't push Randy Orton as your figurehead. If he's, he's going to shit into a diva's if bag. If he's going to shit into a diva's bag. And George have drug on, violations. And drug violations. You know, for whatever reason, John Cena has never, he's never, from what we understand, made a drug violation. He's never caused too much of a big scene backstage. He hasn't been caught publicly showing dick pics to a fever in the NXT developmental leagues. He's never been caught swearing. He's always polite. He'll talk to TMZ reporters. He'll talk to, he'll go out and he'll do Regis and Kelly. He'll go and he'll do all these things. And CM Punk says, yes, I'll do them as well. Yeah, but you'll also be a moody prick and keep drinking cups of coffee on screen all the time whilst you're doing it. John Cena is the model employee. And that is why Vince McMahon keeps him as 
where he is. And that's why I think we might not see the end of John Cena as the figurehead, because if Roman Reigns crashes and burns, who else are you going to call? Well, apparently, the rumour is they changed the finish of of the main event midway through WrestleMania 31, around the, around the part where the, Ron, the Rousey out angle was, is where the finish allegedly got changed, according if to my, Dave Meltzer. If I were guessing Vince McMahon had made that decision weeks and weeks ago, and it's only just that he told people an hour and a half ago... That that to keep it under wraps. No, that's, yeah. feasible, that's a feasible outcome. Yeah. Well, we're going to have to start making our way towards Mount Rushmore. There's tons more I could have talked about. Oh, here we go. Here's... Just before we get to Mount... Do you have any final thoughts? Because I have one final thought before we get to Mount Rushmore. So oh, I have you... a one final question I want to ask you, but you okay, can ask this question. Assuming he does get another world title, mm-hmm. who's he going to beat for it? I have no idea. I don't think he'll beat... He won't beat Brock Lesnar for it, I don't think. He won't... He might beat... No, Brock you've Lesnar's got to take it to... Look, a tweener, this, is, so. this is the thing. This is the thing with John Cena. He'll always be there when someone gets injured. He was. He took the He took the fall to Lesnar, from what we understand. That was supposed to be Daniel Bryan's uh, role. And I'll guarantee you Daniel Bryan wouldn't have got the rematch where he's holding him in the yes lock just before Seth Rollins turns up. So I would argue that if he wins it, it'll be as a last-minute thing because someone's been injured and they need someone to hold on to it. He'll be a transitional champion. If, if John Cena holds the belt again, it will be as a transitional champion. Well, this is why I made that point earlier where I don't think his, his means as much as Flair's because he won four of his 15 championships in one calendar year. The, yeah. the numbers and the statistics uh, can be, you know, we're in the midst of an election and as you know, numbers, numbers and statistics and figures can mean a lot of things and they don't mean anything. But my core you can juke was, the stats to quote the wire. Yeah. Um, but my core point was it's harder to get 16 reigns in Flair's era because of the territories than it is to get 16 reigns in one sole company. Well, technically, Flair during that era had like 23 reigns because he'd go to New Zealand or Puerto Rico or whatever and it would have caused a damn near riot if he'd have held onto the belt. So he theoretically lost the belt and then just won it back the next night. You know, there's, I mean, there's a great video of Ric Flair and they've used it in Botchamania a couple of times where he says, I'm the 16 time champion. Actually, it's 21. But it's not important. <laughs> but um, this is the final point I want to make before we get to Mount Rushmore. Because we're going to do a Mount Rushmore definitive moments. And if you want anything to be truly the definitive moments of John Cena this would have been mine but it actually happened before the decade of Cena and that was Vincent Man on the Raw on an episode of Raw brought out the Raw roster this was just after the roster split and it was just after I think he'd beaten Ric Flair to take full control of the promotion so this is post WCW post invasion and he's starting to build his own roster of talent Brock Lesnar's come Randy Orton's debuted around this time Batista's debuting in a few months after after, which is a tag team match that has to happen still at some points. There has to be a tag team match that involves Randy Orton, Brock Lesnar, Batista and John Cena. But that's for another time. I don't know, I can't see Brock tagging during this three-year deal at all. I think if he's going to tag with anyone, it'll be in a match with Batista. It, may, it makes too much sense. Or a fatal four-way. Maybe. Oh yeah, a fatal four-way is more likely to happen. If this match doesn't happen, it's a crying shame that it didn't happen. Because that's their equivalent of... Um, Austin Rock and Hulk Hogan together at WrestleMania 30 if those four were in a match together. It's the uh, Mega the Powers versus the Mega Bucks. The Mega Bucks or something like that. Yeah, yeah, you've got a point there. Um, but let's let's just get to this. And Vince McMahon made this big speech about what they needed and it was basically a K, it was both kayfabe and shoot. Look at me with the terminal. <laughs> and it was about how you had to show ruthless aggression. 
And then people started to have tried to turn the 2002 to 2004-5 era as the ruthless aggression era. There was near really nothing that was mentioned after those first couple of months. It was a buzzword that means nothing, which Vince McMahon's very good at creating. And so he says, you've got to have that ruthless aggression. Do you have it? Do you have it? You know, Rob Van Damme's high off his face and doesn't really know what's going on. Whereas Bradshaw's like, I've got it, Vince, I've got it! And then becomes JBL a few months later. The next Smackdown, John Cena comes out to meet Kurt Angle's open challenge. And Kurt Angle says, who are you? The first words John Cena ever says is, I'm John Cena. And then he says, what makes you think you have what it takes to beat me? And John Cena just says, ruthless aggression. Slaps Kurt Angle, and that's the match. And then he has a good match with him that covers most of his limitations. And he loses, but it's a valiant losing effort. And, actually, after he loses, he smiles about the match, which has been one of many people's big bugbears about John Cena afterwards, that he always smiles after losing a match and doesn't show any real emotional damage. He doesn't take any great loss, as Max Landis points out in Wrestling Isn't Wrestling. To me, that's the definitive image of John Cena. When he debuted, he said his name, and he said Vince McMahon's buzzword. He basically said, I embody everything that Vince McMahon's looking for. And then he proceeded to prove that for the ensuing 12, 12 years. No need to get choked up about it, mate. <laughs> no, I, was, I, had a, I, I ate a sandwich before we recorded. <laughs> <laughs> but that's my point. That's my argument. That's my theory. You may disagree. You may agree with it. But now we're on Mount Rushmore. And we're going to look at the other four definitive moments of John Cena's run. And this is from WrestleMania 21 to WrestleMania 31. This decade of Cena that we've been theoretically debating. Now, did I go first last time or did you go first last time? Well, it's usually that you go first and I follow it up. So, should we stick to what we know or...? Um, I think for such a big one, let's play with the format a little. Okay, so you want me to go first? Yeah. Okay, so here are my four definitive Mount Rushmore moments. Now, if you have four different ones, we'll have to debate and, and get rid of one to agree. So I'm going to go through them in uh, I'm going to go through them in chronological order. The first definitive John Cena moment was his entrance, his response, and his match with Rob Van Dam at ECW One Night Stand in 2006. The most hostile of hostile audiences. It's the closest we get to an interpromotional match. It's the closest we get to a wrestler from one promotion dealing with another promotion's fan base. And he put his chin down, raised his belt, walked defiantly to the ring, and then threw his shirt into the crowd, had his shirt thrown back at him, threw it back into the crowd. That was where they started to do the You Can't Wrestle chance. I think that was the first time we ever heard that. And then he then he busted out like a couple of moves that he never had done before on screen, and the chance continued, You Still Suck. Um, it was the it was the most intense incident of John Cena meeting an anti-John Cena fan. There was not. Uh, a pro Cena person in the crowd that you could tell. So that's my first one. My second one was his match, but the ensuing build-up and what have you with Umaga, the last man standing match. A great match, had blood, had chaos, had uh, action, had John Cena having to choke him out with the ring ropes in order to win. And that was the closest we had to John Cena as the classic babyface like an 80s babyface against an 80s hill. In many ways, I could argue that John Cena was less uh, like a Hulk Hogan or a Steve Austin figure. He was more like a Jerry Lawler figure in Memphis. Just the guy that was just constantly being cycled, new opponents, new opponents, new opponents, and he'd lose the belt and win the belt. Because that's the thing about John Cena. He lost and got pinned a hell of a lot more than The Rock or Austin. Well, not The Rock. He got pinned a hell of a lot more than Austin or Hogan or any of those guys did in their eras. 
Next, I'm going to have the retirement speech he made after he uh, cost Wade Barrett to lose the WWE Championship match against Randy Orton, and that meant he was kicked out of the promotion. And he gave a big emotional farewell to the fans, and there were kids crying, and then he said he was going to get to see his nephew for the first time. All that stuff. Then an hour later, he's in the crowd, and he's hassling the Nexus, and he never once... He never once left. They never gave any kind of build-up. They never could live without Cena for a while. And then he went on to destroy the whole Nexus and end that storyline and and what have you. Again, Nexus is a classic sort of Jerry Lawler era storyline. Bring guys in and then just... They're there. They're sacrificed to the altar of Cena. And the final one I'm going to have is something you mentioned before. It was John Cena doing a Hurricane Rana. John Cena can't really do a Hurricane Rana. He definitely can't do a Rey Mysterio Hurricane Rana. He can do a John Cena approximation to a Hurricane Rana. And that was the that led to him giving the attitude adjustment and pinning J- CM Punk to win their match to then go and face The Rock at their WrestleMania rematch, which didn't need to happen. But Vincent Mann orchestrated it and needed it to happen, and CM Punk was again sacrificed to the greater good. What what was perceived as the greater good. So those are my four moments. They are one night stand, his feud with Umaga, his retirement speech with the Nexus feud, and his Hurricane Rana on CM Punk. Okay. My four are I'm gonna work I'm gonna work backwards. Okay. <clears throat> his passing of the torch, um, via his ass kicking at SummerSlam from Brock Lesnar. Mm-hmm. Uh the SummerSlam before, his uh emergency passing of the torch to Daniel Bryan. Because that's a that's a storyline in which very easy could have been Cena versus the authority, but which wasn't. And just quickly, Austin and Hogan, they would never have lost to a five foot eight guy hitting them with a running knee. That's true. And only one Sweet. man has kicked Clean out of the running knee. Mm. And it was a debut of the running knee. Let's not forget. Yep. No one thought that was the finish. No one thought that was the finish. No. That was very odd. But you couldn't have seen a tap. So I did wonder how they were going to do it at the time. But I digress. Okay. Uh, before that, I'm going to go... Okay, I'm going to skip slightly. I'm going to go out of sync slightly. Because his getting Rusev to give him a US title match angle. Purely because it shows his heelish tendencies. That's in the modern era. That's very interesting. You've gone three of your definitive decade of Cena matches happen within the last 18 months of this decade. That's very interesting. That's true. But my one unifying one, uh, I was toying with either Money in the Bank CM Punk for a hostile crowd, uh, especially with the storyline behind it as well. But I'm inclined to give your RVD one, uh, the joint one. Yeah, and I think that was maybe the start of the uh, smarky crowd starting to think maybe we have more influence than we thought. The if Cena wins, we riot sign and the like, which has then been used and disavowed on many instances. Because there's been plenty of promised riots that don't seem to have happened. Yeah, <laughs> it's it, it's it's an ironic sign. It's like um, the best example. It wasn't at that show. <laughs> Not on that one, no. <laughs> but... Um, my favourite one is I think there's been so many like some Roman wins. It's like if Roman wins, we show apathy. <laughs> I think that was a sign at the front <laughs> was row. Was it if of Roman Mania. wins, we bitch about it on the internet, like, or was that that like was a couple wins? of months ago? Uh, uh, I do remember the apathy one at Mania, the comedian. along with the uh, Glenn Johnson cutout, which seemed to be <laughs> opposite the hard camera the entire time. The comedian Brendan Burns was a huge fan of the. Um, Fandango gimmick when it first came mm. and he was at Wrestlemania and he's on his Facebook page he's got all these signs that he showed two of them were references to my wrestling show which was pretty cool um, but the the one that he put was he had two really good ones one was the 
Randy Orton orangeometer, which is different <laughs> shades of orange, to see how orange Randy Orton was. I know the one you mean. But his other one was, if Fandango actually wrestles, we riot. <laughs> we could talk about John Cena, I think we'll do more John Cena stuff in the future, but this was just reflecting on that WrestleMania 31 possible end of an era even well, though he's not going away or retiring I mean the man's 37, 38 so he hasn't got that many years left in him anyway one his bump assume. card's looking pretty full and he's doing he's doing a hell of a lot more high profile a couple of movies this year, it's weird actually at the time when he's starting to fade from mainstream uh, work. It's now Seth Rollins going on the Today Show and Roman Reigns going on the Tonight Show. It was um, John Cena is doing this comedy with Amy Schumer, which they're hoping will be as big as Bridesmaids, and he's also going to be the lead villain in the Tina Fey Amy Poehler movie that's coming out at Christmas time. I think he's going to love doing that because look, mm. I think it's the first time he's played a bad guy in a movie as well, which is going to be yeah, a different well, direction for him. The movie roles that he was doing when he was the WWE's poster boy was. Fred the movie so it might be interesting we might see there might still there's maybe more interesting chapters in John Cena's life to come but for now we've done our reflecting on this decade and Simon how can people find more reflections of yours on musings of other subjects and other issues how can they get in touch with you how can they follow you uh, well I also do a footballing podcast called Mid-Table Crisis with Sir Thomas of Patrick uh, that will be back on soon. We are currently in hiatus, but we will be back soon. Uh, if people want to get in touch with me over the Twitter, uh, they can get to me at Simon Cross Free. Um, so, so known because I am the third fastest Simon Cross in the world. <laughs> <coughs> and of or at course, least on Twitter. <laughs> on Twitter. <laughs> and uh, also, they can get in touch with me via my Facebook page, or if you happen to know me on a personal level, you can uh, buy me a pint. We'll have many, many a conversation about professional wrestling at a bar of some sort. Okay, my name is Lorcan Mullen, that's L-O-R-C-A-N-M-U-L-L-A for Apple N. That is my Twitter handle, that's my Facebook profile. You can buy my book by getting yourself a Kindle app on your phone, or by having an e-book already, Kindles or what have you, tablets. Get yourself to Amazon, and get yourself a copy of Confessions of a Smart Wrestling Fan. It's still on Simon's to read pile, I'm assuming. But <laughs> until Simon reads it, you can only take my word for it, which is, if you thought the Bible was the greatest work of fiction, <laughs> you'll think this is the greatest work of non-fiction. <laughs> oh, good God. Uh, what is up with you today? I don't know. It's, it's Good Friday. I think my anti-Catholicism... It's uh, rearing his ugly head. Oh, that and the Austin thing. We're going to get in trouble. <laughs> yeah, like people listen. <laughs> that ain't staying in. I can tell. Hopefully they will at some point. But not Austin. Or or Jesus. <laughs> or Jesus! <laughs> He's always listening. Oh, yes. <laughs> bloody perverts. Anyway. For me... Lorca Mullen. And from me, Simon Cross. Thank you for letting us tell you something. Have a great time. Until next time, farewell.
You can't see me. You can't see me. What are you playing, peekaboo? You can't see me. I can see you. You can't. Can you see me?